Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and folks, on today's show, we have our interview with Kimberly Josephson. Hey, Ron, how's it going? Very good, Ed. How are you? I'm doing great. Great week. Going to be fun to interview Kimberly. Been looking forward to this all week. Absolutely. And uh, without further ado, let me get the the bio read and get her get her back on the program here. Uh, Dr. Kimberly Josephson is an associate professor of business, associate dean for the Breen Center for Graduate Success at Lebanon Valley College in Anvil, Pennsylvania, and adjunct research fellow with the Consumer Choice Center. Her academic background is in international studies and strategic management, where she teaches courses covering topics on global sustainability international marketing, and workplace diversity. Prior to serving in academia, her professional career spanned from working in sales in Manhattan as a producer for a web marketing firm, freelancing on On Air at QVC, and as a research assistant for an international NGO. She, her opt-eds have appeared in University Business, Quartz at Work, and PA Capital Star. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Kimberly Josephson. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I was Looking forward to this dis discussion as well. Thank you. <laughs> well, how does someone who goes from an on-air promotionalist at QVC to teaching economics at L uh, Lebanon Valley College in Anvil, Pennsylvania? Yeah, well, you know what? And something, um, something to point out uh, in teaching business uh, courses, I also do serve at the Breen Center for Graduate Success, which focuses on career readiness. And I tell students, um, my career was just kind of circumstance in that I took advantage of opportunities as they came my way. Um, one of my pet peeves is when, you know, students feel like I have to figure out what I'm passionate about. I didn't know what I was passionate about, you know, until I did it. Um, so yeah, so I just, I always, whenever an opportunity presented itself and I had an interest, I would just kind of seize that moment um, and things just kind of snowballed, but I fell in love with, um, you know, travel. I love actually, you know, talking about theory, and I'm kind of a dork in that sense that I never wanted to leave college. Uh, and so I just continued on. So I, you know, I have a, an undergrad in business and poli sci, I have two master's degrees, and then I got the PhD and just kind of kept going. Um, so, but, but what's nice is it does bring me a wealth of information and real world, world knowledge to bring to the table. Um, having worked at, uh, you know, at Harry Winston, actually in Manhattan, um, right out of college, having worked for an NGO um, and drafting reports for that. Um, just kind of being exposed to different things also gives me a little bit more insight and stuff to share with my students. And I like to be really candid and real with them. And I think that they appreciate that too. Well, you sent us an email having listened to one of our shows and uh, we, uh, I, we have actually been uh, paying attention to your work where Ron and I often do, uh, we do a bonus episode after this on our Patreon channel. And is one of our go-to sources. Uh, so we're, we were somewhat familiar with your work already, uh, but we're happy to have you on. And you've been writing a lot about corporate social responsibility, uh, woke capitalism. So let's start as, uh, you know, it is attributed to Socrates, but it didn't really say it. 
with all wisdom beginning with the definition of terms, let's try to define some of these things, shall we? Let's talk, let's define corporate social responsibility. If it can be, maybe it can't be. Sure. Yeah. So some, I mean, corporate social responsibility has dramatically like evolved. Um, and it's kind of taken a turn to the extreme where it's, it's kind of confusing business in terms of their strategy, where they should put their resources, um, what their purpose is. Um, and so when we think about CSR in the traditional sense and something um, that I reference in class and actually I've, I've gotten to know and get connected to um, Professor Archie Carroll who came up with Carroll's CSR pyramid, um, which is brilliant. It focuses on economic uh, responsibility at the base and then as you work your way up, you have legal responsibility, you have an ethical responsibility, because we know not everything that is um, ethical uh, falls into Ill illegal, um, you know. So for example, heaven forbid my husband were to cheat on me, you know, it's not necessarily illegal, but I would be very upset by that. Um, so it's kind of this progression of, okay, you have the economic responsibility to your uh, employees, to your stakeholders, uh, not stakeholders, sorry, shareholders, right? you have that legal responsibility, then you have the ethical responsibility, and then you have the philanthropic, which is desired, not required. Since then, we've kind of turned it on its head in that there's a demand for business to give back to society. So instead of what is the role of um, you know, business in society, we see it more in terms of businesses expected to be part of society and an influencer of society and essentially a social guardian of society. Um, and that's where I get concerned um, because business, you know, it's created because someone has, an, like I said, an interest, an area of expertise, um, a distinct competency that they can leverage for, um, you know, what they want. Uh, they're not experts in all these other realms. So something that, you know, I've been writing about and exploring is um, ESG ratings, um, just because it's it's an aggregate data set that is just so complicated. And in terms of uh, the path that it's putting some businesses on, it's a, it's a really slippery slope in that do we really want businesses to be going down this path? Um, there are examples of uh, good intentions gone wrong, where you have someone getting involved because it is not their area of expertise. It is outside of their realm of business. And they think that they're doing it for, you know, once again, good intentions, but it has uh, terrible results. So, um, so for example, even in the fee articles, I've talked about how um, sometimes uh, we have, uh, and actually one of my uh, connections over at the Consumer Choice Center calls it woke washing, where we have corporations who will engage in activity to kind of pull the wool over our eyes. Um, so, you know, the classic example of um, Dieselgate with VW, um, with BP, uh, having, you know, they won the sustainability award for numerous years in a row uh, and had a turtle sanctuary. And then, you know, now we know what happens after that. But even that is a contentious topic. I had students when the BP oil spill happened who were saying, we're not going to go, we're not going to buy gas from BP. We're not going to go to the gas station because there's one on the corner. This was back when I lived in Philly. And I said, well, think about who you're hurting though, too. Same thing with Burger King, right? So Burger King, um, some people uh, one of my fee articles, it was disheartening because I had a, an article called Why Corporations Should Cater to Consumers, Not Causes. And one of the examples I gave uh, pertained to Burger King. And I saw some people on social media respond back, I'm not buying any burgers from them again. And I thought, oh, gosh, because the thing is, Burger King is a franchise. So if you're going to boycott Burger King, you're actually hurting that small business owner who said, you know what, there's already a McDonald's in town. I'm going to open up a Burger King, right? Um, so think about who you're really hurting. So even those that want to push back on this woke culture in business, 
even that is a kind of a contentious and difficult topic too. Um, so yeah, so I think, and I could go on forever, so, but I'll let you interject. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is a great, it's great background to, to talk a little bit about this. In fact, you anticipated some of my additional questions about stakeholder capitalism and work, woke capitalism, or as I like to call it, marketing, which. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's and, and that's, that's the thing. A lot of, even with these ESG ratings um, and these uh, social labeling, right? So social labeling really took off in the 1990s uh, because a lot of a lot of companies were seeing a return on it. Um, to give you a really kind of crash course in just kind of how this all came about. So if we think about in the um, like 1970s and 1980s, there was that real push for this new international economic order and the right to development. And there was a real push to being aware of what's going on in the third world and developing world and how do we do that? And we had the creation of these different foreign aid programs and alternative trade organizations. Then you fast forward to the 1990s and our economy is doing well and we're strong. Um, and, and you have kind of this promotion of, okay, how can we do more for those developing countries? How can we be more involved? And I mean, even think in, two, in the 2000s, you had, uh, yeah, U2, Bono did that whole, you know, red campaign and got companies on board that, hey, sell something, make it red, and a portion of the profits are going to go to help save Africa and the AIDS, you know, um, you know, concern that we have going on. And it was just, so it just kind of snowballed in that, okay, a concern for once again, wanting to do things the right way. So these social labels became very attractive in the 1990s and early 2000s, and companies were seeing a return on it. So same thing with uh, the organic label that grew very quickly. Um, the danger is most of these labels came about um, through self-verification. So the farmers themselves kind of came up with the label. Same thing with these other social labels. We're going to do this. There was no verification mechanism. So then you had the United Nations come up with the principles for responsible investing, and that was around like 2006, I think. And once again, you had the signatories. So you had all these signatories to this PRI, you know, this big campaign of we're going to do this. But now they want that verification that, well, if we're saying we're going to do it, we have to show that we're doing it. And if we're going to do it, we might as well get a return for it. So we want to show our good deeds. We want consumers to know. So how you said a marketing campaign, right? But now it's created this vicious cycle that consumers also want that. And they're responding to it. The company is giving what the market data is telling them that consumers really do want organizations that are doing good and have a you know, higher calling. Um, and so, you know, it, it, some of them, yes, are doing it in a way to just appease the audience. Others are doing it because they think that this is the way it should go. And, and actually, to some extent, it's almost a weakness of business for not standing up and saying, hey, this is out of our realm. No, we're going to focus on just value creation and what we do. Um, I'll give you a, like an easy, maybe to understand example to show how it's not um, necessarily always bad uh, intentions when doing this. Um, so even at our center, there is um, a program where you can, as a center, get a designation saying you do X, Y, and Z, and it looks good, and you get a little badge. And I was like, hey, we should do this. And um, someone said, you know what? This is really a pay, pay to play program. And I thought, well, we should play because we do this and we can get the badge, right? And I think a lot of organizations are thinking in that regard. Um, the problem is it does have a trickle down effect because if you adhere to a certain standard, companies are not siloed. They have suppliers and they have distributors who now also will be expected to adhere to certain standards. Um, or potentially lose that connection based off of them. 
Yeah, and, and, I, and while as you were talking, I was reminded didn't didn't we settle this sort of with David Ricardo and the Division of Labor and say you know hey it, why don't we focus on the things that we're really good at and not try to produce cheese and wine and do corporate because it's all that really is is just another division of labor. I think uh, if I'm not mistaken here, not the not for profit sector is the third largest sector in the U.S. economy. If we just as employees were able to keep more of our own money, well, then how about we'll we'll donate because that's what Americans do anyway. So, right. And yes, actually, America is extremely charitable in terms of looking at at what we partake and what we're willing to do. And so why not bring it back to the individual level? So rather than put it on the organization and also my fear is to some extent that organizations will be um, spreading themselves too thin um, and. And, and some of the ESG requirements and some of these social labels and stuff, the expectations just are not reasonable or they're culturally conflicting or um, so an example I gave in one of my articles is, uh, you know, you can promote food security through water irrigation systems, but then that disrupts the natural water cycle and that could be seen as a negative thing, right? Um, you know, truck drivers being told they have to, uh, you know, minimize their carbon emissions like it, it just gets to be kind of a little bit much. And, and also when you create a standard, um, it kind of cements you to it as well, right? So there are certain things that we learn as we go. Um, my husband, he's an arborist, right? So he does tree stuff he's, he, and he loves it, right? It's, it's all, he's brilliant with it. It's, you know, I'm not very good with it. But I know that even in terms of his practice, uh, things have changed in terms of planting. What is best for the tree? Is it ball and burlap? Is it not? Is it having it, you know, what do you do with the roots? So even in terms of, you know, he is concerned with plant health. And even in, in regards to that, that has dramatically changed. Um, I think about even, you know, I've got two little girls who love Frozen. And there's a, that, that scene where the two are arguing about, is the bark up or is the bark down when you're stacking firewood, right? So there are just some disagreements in how things should be done. And also we learn sometimes after the fact a better way. So when you institute standards, it can lock you in to potentially a method that's not efficient or conducive um, to, to allowing for advancement. Yeah, Ron and I have talked about this last week. You know, the, there's a standard now to in, in Europe to try to get everybody to use USB-C ports instead of and an Apple would have to shift. So that and and of course, then you're locked in, and there can be maybe no new better creation of a of a a, a plugin. So very confusing. Well, we're up against our first break. Want to remind you folks that you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to ask tsoe at verisage.com. The website is the soul of enterprise where you can see show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. Our Patreon channel, patreon.com, is sponsored by 90 Minds. Need a mind? Get one at 90minds.com. But now a word from our sponsors. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for us at keyword voice America. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. 
Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah, 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 Whatever. And four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with our interview with Kimberly Josephson. And Kimberly, a great discussion with Ed. And I just, uh, I'm going to pull back and go to a macro question. Um, I think you yeah. cited a Richard Branson paper or quote or speech that he gave, World Economic Forum. And they claim that our economic model is broken. And you point out, how can you say that in the last 20 years, we've, we've, what is it, drop below single digits. Now we're in single digits, bone crushing dollar a day poverty. So we've created all this wealth in this and brought all these people out of poverty. And you were talking about Bono and his red movement and all of that. Somebody asked him at a TED talk, can you name one country that's developed because of foreign aid or NGO aid? Name one. There's not one out there. And it's, it's, it's just amazing, especially, and I love how you point this out, we've done this all without ESG. Yes, yes. Well, and actually an excellent book um, that really opened my eyes and influenced kind of my view of things too is uh, Dead Aid by Dambisa Moyo. Oh my goodness, you know, that'll really just open your eyes into the harm that some foreign aid programs have done. And, uh, and, and I've looked into development theory and dependency studies and like, you know, uh, Ragnar Nurse was a strong proponent of it's it's not funding is not the issue it's more of societal development and you have to and actually Mises said right it's experimentation and diversification the best way to promote economic development is once again experimentation diversification you can't have centralized planning you can't have a centralized funding stream and also when you have that um, established it does create a rent seeking economy right? Where you're going to have competition for those rents. And actually in the previous segment, how Ed had brought up, you know, the nonprofit sector is growing. It's growing incredibly fast in the United States um, at a rate of about 20%. It is the third largest employer behind um, manufacturing and retail. And, and I'm all for service and nonprofits and doing good, but also you have to think in terms of how does that also place somewhat of a drain on this on a society because it's not scalable in terms of profit generation um it's based a little bit more on dependency and on funding streams and whenever you have a recipient and donor relationship unfortunately there's always strings attached because because you do have that relationship it's not a in a free market system right you have that voluntary exchange between 
you know, I don't have to buy from you, right? If you, uh, and, and that sends a signal. And so the market has to be responsive to the wants and needs of the constituents and the consumers. Whereas, you know, in the reverse, uh, when you are giving um, donations or when it's grants or subsidies, it creates a rent seeking behavior. And then you have competition for, for rents and that can even create more, um, more of a disconnect in society because it's viewed really as a lottery system. Um, yeah, of, of who's got the the connections and who's got the ties, yeah. Yeah, you know, we've had Deir Deirdre McClowski on the show twice and her trilogy on bourgeois virtues and equality and all of that and her whole premise is the whole great enrichment started because we gave entrepreneurs and innovators dignity. It was a cultural language rhetoric change. It wasn't about oil or scientific invention or any of these materialist explanations. It was because, you know, people can now have a go and, right. and make other people's lives better. And I just find that so compelling, even though it's very hard for, to prove. Well, and I mean, taking it down to the individual itself, thinking about individual behavior, those incentives, Ed had mentioned about David Ricardo, right? So the comparative advantage, what do I give up my opportunity cost to do one thing over another and figuring out what am I best at? And also what do I value? Sometimes I might not be the best at something, but I'm willing to dedicate my resources towards it because it's a value and of interest to me. Um, having the right and that option to do that and advance yourself um, is extremely uh, powerful and beneficial for economic growth. And once again, it allows for the specialization and, and for people to be self-directed and self-guided. Um, I'm, you know, it's, if you were to ever take something to extreme, um, thinking about just how, what if communities treated households like how major industries are treating these small firms or treating companies, right? These expectations of on high. Um, if someone were to say to me, you let your water run a little bit too long, right? Or you're, you know, not feeding your kids properly enough or something like that. Uh, business owners need to be self-directed, be self-guided and, and situations change, right? So um, for example, this summer um, I went to, uh, my family has been going to a camp for years up in New Hampshire and it's beautiful and we love it. And it's a tradition and it's part of, you know, but it was different this year because of COVID and the amount of things that had to be pre-wrapped because they had to follow guidelines. So everything was wrapped in plastic. Everything was in plastic and we had to have plastic gloves. And, all. and oh my goodness, the amount of, you know, just in environmental waste because of all this plastic stuff. But on the other hand, our health and safety were more important. And that was what was required, right? So situations change and what a business needs can change. And, and once again, creating these, instituting these standards and expectations, um, can create entry barriers for new uh, new entrepreneurs, or it can lock existing businesses into a system that maybe is not conducive for progress or exploring better ways to do things. Yeah, you know, I just listened to something that was talking about an article about <clears throat> the accountants are going to save the environment because they're going to be able to attest to these new ESG standards that are coming out and the Sustainability Account Accounting Standards Board, uh, which I think is Black Rocks or something. And, and I'm thinking, geez, we got the big four now offering this as an attest service. I worry that this is a wet blanket on innovation and <clears throat> dynamism because, you know, creativity is supposed to take us by surprise, right? Otherwise it could be planned. And you can't, like you say, you can't have standards on something new. Right. And that's one of my biggest concerns about ESG. It's just a wet blanket on dynamism. 
Yeah, well, and, and also it is taking resources and effort um, away from the organization as well, because now I've been seeing numerous um, job postings for hiring ESG experts, right? What, what really concerns me about ESG is not necessarily the companies taking it on, because once again, I do, you know, some companies do it for, you know, blowing smoke and all that sort of stuff. But I think others are just this, they feel the impetus to do so because this is the new status quo. This is what they're hearing in their industry. Others are doing it. I actually take blame with the data vendors <laughs> and these certifiers, right? Mm -hmm. Because they saw an opportunity when the UN came out with this PRI and people signed on. Well, now we have to have some mechanism to monitor and verify and signal that we're doing it. And so you had the creation of these certification agencies, um, which are supposed to say, yes, you're doing X, Y, and Z, but the ratings are messy. They're not always clear. Um, sometimes they're, uh, they're conflicting because they're self-disclosed by the company. I mean, I work in academia. Ass assessment is part of what we do. And sometimes it can also be truly frustrating because in, in terms of how are you capturing that data? How is it represented? And then also it's a lot of times too, it's after the fact. And that's frustrating as well. Cause it's like, I could be working on my research. I could be prepping for class, but I have to gather this data and then I have to package it up and then I have to present it. Right. And so, and I understand the purpose of that because, you know, we want accreditation and we want to show that we're doing a good job, but I'm just thinking, you know, and this is, that would be tailored that assessment to academia, but here we're taking three very broad, vague areas, right? Environment. <laughs> Uh, so we're thinking in terms of governance structure and then social, right? So environment, social governance. Um, this has also been called uh, the triple bottom line, people, profit, planet, right? Um, it's had so many variations. Um, and, and I saw actually a job posting for needing an ESG and DEI uh, official. So you're lumping all that, like it just, it's too broad of categories to be putting into there. And then for these data vendors to say, hey, we're going to help you report on your ESG, pay us a fee, right? Or now the company has to hire someone, so an, another administrator or someone to do that, where it's, it's pulling away from the core purpose of the firm. And it's entrenching big businesses. And, and you know, Bloomberg estimates that ESG funds could hit 53 trillion by 2025. And like you say, you know, they're the standard setters are controlling the standards and the jargon. And they're the ones that are doing the assessments or teaching companies how to make the grade or whatever. I'm just going to ask this, is this a Trojan horse? Is this a way for unskilled people without any merit or skills in, in business or wealth creation to get into the boardroom? That's a great question. That is, a, well, because my concern, once again, is going back to the verification systems and the certification bodies. They might be really good at analyzing data and they might know what to be looking for, but do they know that company and their needs at that moment, right? And what's being reported on? Um, situations do change. Uh, and so what a company, uh, and, and also companies, they're going to pursue their best interest as well. So what they disclose and how they disclose it, and even in terms of, this is going to sound odd, but too, uh, showing that maybe they're not doing as good as they're supposed to be doing, because then it makes it easier for them to show growth and promote that. Um, some companies signed on to ESG because, like my example before, we check all those boxes already. We already do that. Why don't we get the stamp of approval? 
Um, for other organizations that sign on, they might decide to, hey, you know what, we're really, we're really doing great this year with this, but we want, don't actually want to disclose it all. We want to save some of it so we can use it next year so we can show that we're growing as a company in that regard. Um, so, yeah, I, I just worry. And, and also, too, the, you've heard like how, you know, put your money where your mouth is type of thing. So for organizations, how I said, I see these new positions opening up for, you know, ESG advisors in-house within the organizations, um, not every firm can take that on, right? And the money, and if, if the company is thinking, hey, you know what, I can maybe, since I'm going to have this ESG designation, maybe I'll get a little bit of a premium with the investors, maybe my product's going to sell better, but not if it keeps on growing and now I have to hire a whole new staff member who you're also going to be stressed about all the time because heaven forbid, you know, you don't meet the system's requirements that year um, or something goes wrong. Everybody, because of COVID, probably in regards to the environment, not too good because even, you know, anywhere you go, things have to be wrapped up in plastic. We have plexiglass everywhere. Um, <laughs> you know, there's trade-offs. There are trade-offs for everything. So, you know, what, what makes the most sense for an organization, um, it really should be held by the owners and by the shareholders and the employees, um, not an outside centralized planning, you know, governing body um, that actually is also not elected. <laughs> yeah, you just put your finger on the term trade-offs. I mean, Thomas Sowell says, there's no such thing as a solution, there's only trade-offs. And the thing that scares me as a recovering CPA, Kimberly from a big eight, if we have a knowledge problem here, how can the big four come in and attest to something they know nothing about? Right, right. And, and once again, I'm all for businesses doing the right thing. I'm not for boxing them in from, you know, commands from on high. Right. Yeah, this is great. Well, this is flying by. I knew it would. Uh, and folks, we'd like to remind you, if you want to contact Ed or me, send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Ed had mentioned our Patreon channel, and that's sponsored by 90 Minds. And also, at a particular tier, you can get a shout out on the show like Mark Gandy did, check out Mark Gandy's great podcast, cfobookshelf.com. I might have even been on it uh, in the last couple shows. And um, check him out at cfobookshelf.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsors. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. 
look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Yes, we are back with uh, Dr. Kimberly Josephson. And uh, I want to ask you about uh, something I came across last week. Jonah Goldberg in his uh, newsletter talked about the James Beard Awards. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this. this these are basically the Oscars of the food world. That's, that, that, that's, what the, that's the, the, the organization itself uses as its unofficial motto. But they have just recently announced that their prestigious annual awards are going to be retooled uh, which, based on the decisions the candidates have shown and demonstrated a commitment to racial and gender equality, community and environmental sustainability, and a culture where all of that can thrive. Not on who makes the best hamburger. Right. <laughs> so, I mean... I, I'm all for all of those things. Those are all wonderful things that that we all should strive for. But does it really matter when it comes to making a chicken Kiev? I mean, I, I, right, I, right. Well, and and too, the the thing is, I I think even with that though, that is a signal that, as we said, this is a good form. They think uh, in regards to PR, right? I'm sending out that we care and our, you know, we're we're doing our part in this and it's muddying the waters a bit in, in regards to what are the expectations for the organization, who it's going to, um, who it's looking to appeal to versus who it's looking to attract versus, you know, even sometimes that causes more attention to the organization, um, even in a neg- negative light. Sometimes things have backfired where organizations have um, tried to promote social causes. So for example, um, with gender equality, um, the, company Brewdog, um, I think it's in the UK, came up with the pink IPA uh, as a little kind of sarcastic, uh, but in well-intentioned, or at least that's what they say, it was well-intentioned. It was meant to be a sarcastic campaign promoting um, female empowerment and gender pay and bringing that to light. Uh, and it just backfired on them in the worst way. And people did not appreciate it. And they had to kind of pull that back and um, so sometimes organizations getting involved in social matters, um, they don't know how to do it right or do it properly, and it, it can backfire at them as well. Um, so once again, you know, leave that realm, leave that sector to the experts. Um, and if you are a chef, stick to cooking, right? And just be a good person. Just be a kind, good person. Conduct your business as you should. Um, and, and things kind of have a ripple effect in that regard. Um, you know, once again, my husband's a small business owner. I'm a professor. We just do our thing and we try to do it to the best of our ability. And when we're able to advance ourselves, that actually does free us up to, you know, do, do good. When I make more money, I can donate to charity. When I have a more efficient process of doing something, I now have free time that I can do, uh, you know, 
whatever community service or something like that. Some organizations, um, they're just, they're over, they're overworked, they're understaffed, they are putting all that they have into just doing what it is that they're supposed to be doing. And I feel like it simultaneously demonizes them when you have other organizations saying, look how great it is. We're doing this, right? Um, just my husband, I keep talking about, it, but it's just a, such a good example. He's a, a one man show, right? And so it, he can't say, I, you know, I have a diverse team because it's just him, right? Um, so he can't do any of that signaling. Um, so it's some, some organizations, I feel like they're doing it for that signaling, for the PR, for the promotion. Uh, and it's disheartening for those that really, you know, ha have good in their heart and good intentions, but they just do their own business. They just focus on what it is that they do best. And, and it's really, uh, I think, also partially responsible for some of the things that we're seeing with regard to the vaccine and COVID, because we've just, just politicized everything. And gone are the days when LeBron James can say Republicans buy sneakers as well. Now we have to have, you know, red sneakers and blue sneakers, I guess. I mean, I, and it, this actually happened in the software industry before the election last year. There was a, a, a company that says, you know, that, that came out flat out saying we are against Donald Trump. Are we really going to have red apps and blue apps? I mean, is this what we're going to do? <laughs> right. Well, and it does make it a very, um, yeah, in the workplace. I actually did write an article on how to deal with like even water cooler chat that is contentious and politically based. Um, for my students, uh, like I, I see a concern from them in that I don't know how to engage in just even conversation <laughs> in regards to like topics, you know, it's good to talk about ideas and it's good to talk about events, but most of the events you can't share your ideas about because it's just, you don't know how people are going to react. Um, and even in regards to, I, I think I mentioned to you um, that for my students, I see they come to the table with concerns more than ideas. Um, and so this, I, you know, in wanting to pursue a business to make profit, right? In, in order to actually advance themselves and have mutually beneficial exchange and the gains of trade, that fire is gone. It's more so, okay, well, if I'm going to pursue something, how does it have um, kind of maybe a, a social impact, right? Or, or heaven forbid, I make too much money or, you know, like it's almost like this thing um, where they, I, I see kind of the fire is going out a little bit. And I am concerned with even social entrepreneurship programs in that regard. Um, if, if you want to solve a social problem with, with a business model, fine, I'm for that. Michael Porter actually calls it shared value. That's, you know, but, but that's a significant mission. And that makes sense. If you have a focus and, and, and be smart about it, we know that Tom shoes was actually kind of backfired as well. Right. And that was not a good thing. Um, good intentions don't always have good results. Uh, another example, oh my goodness, um, this was in South Africa. I think it was called the play pump. Um, it was, I saw, it was a thing where in Africa, uh, these, those wheels that are at the playground, I can't remember what they're called, but you can jump on them and they spin around. And they were going to be installed in, uh, in areas where uh, water needed to be pumped because the entrepreneur who came up with this idea or activist uh, who came up with the idea said, you know, what? instead of pumping water, let's have children, it'll be part of play, and it'll be fun. And actually, everybody thought it was a great idea. And oh, how cute. But turns out, you know what, like, you have to almost force the kids to play to get the water to get pumping. And so and if the older people in the neighborhood needed water, they had to it, it almost was like a form of child labor. And eventually, this did kind of flop. 
right? Good, good idea, but you know what, in all reality too, kind of butt out as well, right? So I think a lot of times, a lot of social initiatives um, and, and forms of social entrepreneurship are a little paternalistic or patronizing in that we think we know what's best for you, right? It should be the reverse. You know what's best for you. What resources do you need, right? How can I help leverage what it is that you're doing, right? How can I, how can I help you be self-directed, not how can I impose what I think is best for you? I think this this goes back to a misunderstanding that I, I I do think that John Mackey from Whole Foods in his book, Conscious Capitalism, makes this great point. He says, look, the purpose of business is not to make a profit. That's the purpose of a business is not to make a profit. It's the result. And, and, and that is the big problem. Everybody thinks, oh, you go into business to make a profit. No, that's the result. You go into business to do something for someone else. It's actually other directed. It's altruistic. And people don't get that part of it, that it's about serving the customer. For, I mean, Adam Smith saying, right, the butcher and the baker, right? They don't do it for themselves, mm -hmm. right? They have a talent, they have a skill, and they're leveraging that skill. And they should get a return for that. And if people are willing to pay a good amount for it, and it's all voluntary, everybody wins. You have that specialization, and people pursue what it is within their means and and what it is that they desire. So that's really important. My, I, I mean, with, with the stakeholder model, the concern is with money, that's objective, right? That's just that we can use that as the tool of measurement, right? If my profit margins are good, if people are purchasing, uh, if my price, if the elasticity of demand, right? If, if it, that changes, if I lower my price or raise my, that signals to me the perception of value and what people are willing to pay. It's very useful. Um, so focusing on profit's not a bad thing because that, that tells you if you're doing something wrong or right. So that's smart to focus on it. I don't want students to lose sight of that. Profit is not evil. It's a functional thing and you need it to scale and to reinvest and, and you know grow the business or whatever you wanna do with it. But with the stakeholder model, a lot of that's subjective, right? Um, I actually, to help my students remember the stakeholders, we focus on the core stakeholders and I call it the SPICE model because um, we think in terms of society, partners, partners in the industry, um, investors, customers, and employees. But you have so many other stakeholders, the government, media, right? We could go on forever. There are so many stakeholders. And sometimes I do a little exercise with them like, okay, now prioritize them. And they can't, right? Some people, oh, you, the employees, the employees are the most important because if you don't have employees, you know, how are you going to provide? Oh, okay, well, if you don't have customers, there's no point of the business. Okay, if you don't have the investors, right? That's how are you even going to get the business going? So it's just, it's so contestable and it, and it varies. And how you prioritize too is going to vary according to the industry, what the needs are, what the expectations are. Um, and so my- And sometimes they just outright conflict with one another. Oh, definitely. Definitely. So I think the stakeholder <laughs> model is flawed in that because it is messy and it takes it, it, it takes it to a subjective level. Whereas really no folk, if I am as efficient and effective and I'm doing it ethically, that's what matters. So listen, I got about one uh, minute left in my segment here, and I'm, I'm, I don't want to finish on a downer. So I'm going to take you back to an article that you wrote in January of this year uh, entitled the uh, Netflix uh, for Netflix hits that that agenda driven corporate America could take a cue from in 2021. Um, and I'm just going to pick one of them um, if you want to go to a different one. But I want to know what can we learn from Beth Harmon in Queen's Gambit on Netflix? Oh, I loved it. I, I got so sucked in because too, you know, you were just during COVID and all that sort of stuff. You just were watching whatever. 
And I loved it because it was just so such a powerful show about her pursuing and, and wanting to do everything according to her terms, her, and, and granted there were, you know, scenes where it shows that she loses control, but in reality, she was like, how do I conquer this? Right. And it doesn't matter, you know, that I'm a woman. It doesn't matter that I come from uh, an orphanage. None of this matters. And then also we cheered her on, like as she was winning the, you know, the, the matches and as she was making money, I, none of us, I, I don't think we're thinking she really should be giving back now. She was making big money, right? She should have been giving back to that orphanage, right? Cause she did go back and visit it. And at one point I thought, okay, if this was really going to be, you know, pushing that agenda, it would have shown her donate back to the orphanage and get rid of the bad headmaster, what have you type of thing. But no, we just, we loved that she was able to advance herself. And, and I feel like that's how, you know, we need to be self-directed. We have to know what's of interest to us. And, but, but also once again, just be kind, good people too. Um, I know that you had the guys from the words and numbers podcast. So I feel like I'm echoing that, but I love that podcast. And the one host, he always says, you know, just be kind. And that's the thing. James. Yeah. We have to just promote people within business. Just be ethical, be good people. You try your best. You're going to make mistakes, but, but getting involved in these organizations that are, or in these uh, social causes that are bigger than your area of competency is more dangerous than it is helpful. Yeah. Well, this is, this is great. It is flying by and Kimberly, I'm going to pass you over to Ron. He's going to take you the rest of the way home, but thanks for being on the show today for me. Folks want to remind you, you can contact us on that website at asktsoe at verisage.com. And now a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is, for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSO and subscribe today please for the love of god make it stop you are tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with Dr. Kimberly Josephin, Josephson. And Kimberly, I wanted to ask you the 2019 Business Roundtable statement that basically threw out shareholder theory. Um, 
and said that, oh, well, this replaces the whole, you know, maximized value for shareholders. Um, it did move the Overton window, it seems, pretty rapidly, I have to say. But you probably read this. The Wall Street Journal wrote a two-year anniversary in 2021. And they looked at these 181 members who signed this statement and said, you know what? Nothing has changed with any of you. You haven't, you haven't really done anything with this. It, I mean, is this just virtue signaling? It's dangerous virtue signaling, yes, because it is setting a different mindset and culture and expectation. And if consumers and data, once again, is showing that consumers are desiring organizations that go above, above and beyond in regards to discretionary responsibilities, um, which is actually an important thing to point out, it's discretionary. So it's at their choice to pursue some of these social causes. It's at their choice to partake in signing the PRI and investing in, uh, you know, ESG stocks or what have you, all that sort of stuff. Um, and the implications sometimes we don't see them because it's it's met actually even in regards to um, the study of ethical consumption and conscious consumerism that field of literature is still not developed because it's really hard to understand the incentives. Uh, behavior behind it right so and and the interpretation even of those social labels so people you know have a hard time distinguishing between all these different products and what these ratings mean what they're saying one percent for the planet versus organic versus you know 100 recyclable versus zero impact on the earth and all that sort of stuff and it's just creating a a, a big mess to be honest and it's it's so yeah, so I, I agree. I think, it, I think it's dangerous virtue signaling though, because it does hold other organizations um, that are tied to those bigger players in the industry. So how I said, like, what if, what if communities held households, like industries hold companies, these industries um, that are the dominant players do set the tone. And so if an organization says, you know what, I am only going to, um, let's say offer organic, right? And I'm for organic, right? But there are ramifications for that. Now their suppliers might have to uh, change up their process and their harvest and all that sort of, and that takes time and that's a cost. Um, the developing world is just now really advancing themselves because of the advancements in, um, you know, in regards to agricultural uh, just protection and, and even chemical use that, you know, it, it helps them, them in terms of yield production and things like that. And now they're having to kind of do an about face and um, how that's going to impact them and those suppliers who can't meet these new standards, these new needs um, and regulations can have, have a really uh, negative effect. I'll give you a really quick example. So um, some organizations say, you know, and obviously we do not support child labor. That makes perfect sense. Like I don't either, right? Um, but because of some strict regu regulations and uh, the monitoring of that, that has created an undue cost in some developing nations where you had mothers who brought their children into the field with them because they don't have childcare. And now this has created a new burden in that they they can't be in the field doing what what it, they do during the off season of the school year, what have you, um, because they don't want to get in trouble and they and the uh, plantation owner or landowner, what have you, um, the cooperative doesn't want to get uh, in trouble for having kids in the field, right? right. You, you know, the stakeholder theory sounds so beautiful because, oh, we have to watch out for our customers and we have to watch out for the community and pay our taxes and, and, and all of that. But all of these things have conflicts. 
And for the C-suite or the employees of the corporation, if they're accountable to more than the shareholders, in other words, now they're accountable to everyone, then they're accountable to no one. And a slave with two masters is a free man. And, and, and I worry about that because how do they deal with these trade-offs? As a customer, I want a lower price. As an employee, they want a higher wage. A government wants more taxes. The price system deals with this beautifully without any conflict whatsoever. But now you lay over the CSG or the stakeholder theory, and it brings up all these conflicts that are unresolvable without a price system. Right, right. And also, once again, why does it have to be the organization that's doing the signaling? If, if a shareholder or a CEO, or they can do this on their own terms. Individuals can pursue the causes that they want. Um, with an organization doing it, once again, it, it, it worries me they're not, CEOs are not elected officials. Organizations should not be our social guardians. And we know that organizations are very good at gathering data and very good at selling stuff. And so not only are they selling us burgers, they're selling us, you know, how we should be feeling or thinking about certain things. Um, and so that's where it kind of uh, becomes a problem. But this also shows we're really in this culture of, um, and, and it shows how, how at the very beginning we said, you know what, life is good. We're pretty well off. The, you know, everything's advancing. This is this really illustrates that because we don't look for functional attributes and primary attributes of, of products anymore. Of does my car get me from point A to point B? I'm looking for those psychological attributes. How does it make me feel? How does it, how will others perceive me in it? What status do I feel? And now people are looking for like filling a void with that moral consciousness and they can pat themselves on the back because they bought something that was, you know, organic or they bought something that was, you know, promoting a, a, a cause. Um, we so, made yeah. everything a Veblen good, basically, all the <laughs> way down. No luxury, just everything now is a Veblen good. Well, Kimberly, this is great. I got 15 seconds with you, but are you an optimist that we can push back on this? I am. I am. I, uh, so I, I've said to my students, because we do talk in my business course, we, we cover economics. And, you know, we say economics is a dismal science because you think of scarce resources. But man, in terms of resource development of what we're discovering and how we're utilizing things and, and just innovation that is coming about, um, I, I hope that this is just kind of a period, just like how we've had different trends that have come and gone. I feel, I'm hoping that this virtue signaling and, and everything is somewhat of a trend. Um, uh, yes, I'm, I don't know how okay, we'll get out of it, but yes, <laughs> I'm an optimist. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Well, Kimberly, this has been an honor. Thank you so much for appearing on The Soul of Enterprise. Ed, what do we have next week? Next week, Ron, we are interviewing Marco Bertini, the author of The Ends Game. I'm looking forward to it. I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. Join us next week on Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern. That's noon Pacific. But in the meantime, please do visit us on the web at www.thesoulofenterprise.com.
find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. 